So before we begin, would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you need? What do any of us need? Good question. Um, psychologists tell us they're, they're, have, they have all kinds of answers to this, but one that maybe you've all heard of was Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. If you ever took a psychology course in college, you've heard that word. Anyway, it's, it's sort of this pyramid-shaped thing where the, mo the most essential needs are at the bottom of the pyramid and it reaches a pinnacle at the top. And the bottom two layers are things like food and clothing and shelter and safety. And then as you move up the pyramid, there's things like love and community. And at the highest point is self-actualization. Now, I'm not here to argue with any of that. It's in some sense, in some respect, that's probably all, probably all true. Um, what I am here to say is that in practice, that pyramid doesn't really help, help you understand your life or anybody else's life or really what your needs are. <clears throat> so if I could take a point of personal privilege for something like 20 years now, uh, Betty and I have been uh, visiting this uh, drug rehabilitation place called Graymore. And literally over those years, we, we've had hundreds if not thousands of conversations with people who are there as residents because they have serious drug problems. And I can guarantee you almost every one of those conversations comes down to the same three ideas, which we're going to get to in a second. The fact that they are there says that they really need help. Now, obviously, we're talking about worldly, physical, emotional help. Setting aside the spiritual side of that, which is also necessary. And in fact, the place Chris, uh, St. Christopher's in, it, at least in theory, is a spiritual-based program for rehabilitation. So there, there's both the, the worldly and the uh, unworldly sides of, um, or spiritual sides of their need for help. But the problem with needing that help is that addiction, all addiction, I don't care what it, what it is, whether it's drugs or is in my own case alcohol or, or sex or fame or money or whatever else that, that you're addicted to, um, really steals your hope because you become obsessed with the thing, the thing becomes your hope, whether, whether it is drugs or alcohol or whatever. <clears throat> so you don't really have any grander vision beyond just the thing that you have to acquire your drug, you have to acquire your alcohol, whatever. And so you, you can't really have hope beyond that. But by the same token, people who are stuck in addiction almost invariably, especially when they get to the point where they need help, know that they are hopeless, that they feel hopeless. And the only way out of that hopelessness is to beat the addiction. But of course, being helpless and hopeless virtually guarantees that you have 
no purpose in life. Your, your entire purpose, as I just said a minute ago, is to acquire your drug, to acquire the thing that you're addicted to. So I would argue that even Maslow's hierarchy of needs could be rearranged so that it boils down to these three categories, hope, help, and purpose. And without those, it is virtually impossible to live as a human, human being. You can survive, you can get through, but you cannot live a fulfilled life in any sense. <clears throat> so it's easy to stand back and say, well, these are drug addicts, right? And this is a problem that's only stuck on people who are uh, lost in their, their addiction. And it's partially true. But the fact is, the psalm that we're going to read today, that we're going to talk about today, it was written by King David. Now, let me say that again. It was King David. It wasn't David down the street. It was King David, who had everything you could ask for. Money, uh, fame, glory, power. All the, all the attractions of the world were his. By the same token, he was beset by problems. Uh, his own sons rebelled against him. The, the people he trusted rebelled against him. Uh, his family was a, a wreck, a mess. So, and he had enemies all around. Every, every, every uh, state, country around him wanted, wanted to get rid of Israel. So his life was not all roses. Um, <clears throat> But we'll, we'll see today that he had exactly the same three needs. And if I could just turn for a second to the, the first two verses of the psalm. And we're going to read the psalm in a second, but just look at the first two verses. Uh, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. This is David talking to himself. But within this, you see those same three issues. Uh, David's purpose is in the very first verse. He says, truly, my soul silently waits for God. His purpose is to wait for God, just like it's our purpose to wait on God. And this is not the only place in Scripture where it says, wait on God as your purpose. Um, you may recognize. Recall that when the uh, Israelites were uh, getting to, got to the Red Sea, they needed to cross the Red Sea. And Moses says to them, stand still and watch the salvation of God. Right? And there it goes. Cecil B. DeMille. Nice. Nice. Um, <clears throat> but also in Psalm 46, you, you hear the same words. It starts, be still and know that I am God. So this being still, standing back and watching is really kind of an important thing. And it is your purpose. It's my purpose. It's David's purpose. Uh, so that's his purpose. But from him comes, from God comes salvation, David's salvation. That's his hope. His hope is truly, it's the long-term hope like eternal life. But for David, it's also the short-term Help me from my enemies. Help me from the problems I face from my family and from my enemies. So purpose, help, purpose, hope. And his help is God only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. So there's help, hope, and purpose just in the first two verses of the, of the psalm here. 
So it's not likely that you're either going to be an addict or that you're going to be king of anything. But that doesn't mean these things don't apply to you. Each of us in our everyday lives face difficulties. Now, they're not tragic. They're not overwhelming, though they can be sometimes. But they're, they're challenges. They're challenges in which we need help. And again, just like David, even if we disregard the worldly, physical, on-the-ground challenges, we still have the problem of sin. And we need help in that, too. Of course, our hope, our hope is that, there, that not only in this life do we trust in Christ, because then we'd be the most pitiable of all men, but in the, in the eternal life, too, uh, in, the, in the age to come. So we, have, we need help, and that help, in part, shows us our hope, which is eternal life in Christ. And it gives us purpose. We're going to talk about the purpose in a minute as we go through this psalm. But there are bigger purposes. I mean, let me give an example. Again, self-confession. Before I became a Christian... I thought that my, my purpose and my hope was to earn money so that I could go on vacations. If you want to snicker at that, that's okay, because it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous thing. It was a fading worldly hope, but it was my hope. It was my, my help was in my efforts to earn money so that I could go on vacation, and that was my purpose. That hope and help gave me my purpose. Which is nonsense. It's ridiculous. It's fading. It's fleeting. It's a vapor, as David's going to tell us a couple of times. <clears throat> Without God, that is your hope, your help, and your purpose. Anything that you can hope in, anything that you, any place you can seek help, cannot last. It cannot survive. It's temporal. It's passing. It's fleeting, and it's a waste—a waste of your effort. So. Again, we all have these, these needs. We need help in our lives. We need hope for the future. And we need to have some purpose. i give you another one. I was mentioning this to Todd earlier. I don't know if it applies to Dawn, but it may. That when men age, when they get old, like my age and some of your ages, when men get old... Things start fading away from their lives. They retire. They no longer are active in their church. They're not real active in their community. Maybe the, their spouse dies, whatever. But all the things that gave them purpose, work, community, church, whatever, goes away. And when it does, they die. It's a sad thing. It's a, it's a, it's a good reason why after you retire, after you're done with your work work, that you continue on in the church, to have your purpose. God is calling you to that purpose, so take advantage of it. So, Because I don't want to see any of you croak. <laughs> anyway, we all need hope, help, and purpose. So the question then becomes, the key question, the most important question is, where do you go to find hope, help, and purpose? And that's uh, the issue that David's dealing with in Psalm 62. So let me read that for you. 
Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Salah. My soul waits silent. My soul, comma, waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Breath. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each according to his work. Powerful words. Good stuff. So we want to look today at, these, uh, at this psalm under, under three headings. We're going, to, we're going to have the opportunity to eavesdrop on three conversations that David has. The first is, is an internal conversation. He's just that, that track that runs in your head. So the first four verses are that track we're going to hear. And the next conversation is him preaching to himself. Because once you decide what's, what's right among that track that's running in your head, then you have, to, you have to lay hold of it. You have to grasp it. Then he turns to the congregation and tells them, what he learned from his internal conversation and his decision. So those are the three headings. And now let's see what we can find here. <coughs> so the first, the first of these conversations was this inter internal dialogue. Now, everyone here has had this internal dialogue. I guarantee you just this morning, and probably right now, but just this morning you had that when you decided what, what clothes you were going to wear here today. Well, I could wear this because it's sort of springy, but I could wear this because I'll be cold in church. Yes. <laughs> and you weigh the two things. This is also called a Benjamin Franklin analysis, a Ben Franklin analysis where you compare the, uh, uh, the consequences of two different things. So we all do this, right? Every day we do this. And David is going to do this with respect to where he finds hope, help, and purpose. So, in, as we've said several times now, in his first two uh, verses, Truly my soul silently waits for God, from whom comes my salvation. He only is my rock, my salvation, and my defense. Okay, on the God side of the Ben Franklin comparison, uh, we have uh, God is my rock, my salvation, my defense, he is my help, that is to say. He is my help. He is my salvation. He is my hope. 
and my soul waits for him, and I will not be greatly moved. So I'm, it's, it's my purpose. My purpose is in God. My hope, my help, and my purpose are all in God. So that's all on the side of the ledger for God. He then turns to the side of the ledger, man. My help, where is my help aside from God? Man. How long will you attack a man? He's asking the question of men. You will be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. <clears throat> um, so, so, on the, on the man's side, the only, they only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. On the man's side of the ledger, you have um, constant attack. You have weakness like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. You have people trying to undermine you. You have people who delight in lies, even though they bless with their mouth. That is, they're hypocrites. And they, and they curse you, people cursing you. So if you compare these two things, the God side of the ledger and the man side of the ledger, which one do you pick? <laughs> the obvious answer is you pick the God side, right? God is your hope, help, and purpose. And once David comes to this conclusion, he has to tell himself. Now, he has to confirm it, lay hold of it, grab, grab on to this truth. I heard a story, and I'm not sure it's true or not, but, it, but it's a good story in any case, uh, about Billy Graham. When he was a young man, I understood that he had questions about the veracity of the Bible. He was struggling with it. And he went off by himself one day and spent the whole day praying about it. And at the end of that time, he, he came to his own internal understanding that the truth of the Bible is truth. It's God's truth. And you can see from the rest of his life that he actually embraced that. He laid hold of it. That was, that was the remainder of his ministry all the rest of his life. His ministry was sharing the Word of God because he came to that internal decision. So likewise, David here having done the Ben Franklin between God and man, says, comes to the conclusion that really that, that there can be no other conclusion. And he preaches to himself, my soul, listen to me, David, listen to yourself. My soul, wait silently for God, for God alone. Don't worry about men. Don't worry about things. Worry about God. Because my expectation is from him. And now, now you see he's repeating all the same things that you heard in the first two, ver two verses, only a little bit different. For instance, wait silently for God alone. In the first verse, he said, wait silently for God. He only is my rock and my salvation. That is the same. He is my defense. That is the same. But now look at the next phrase. I shall not be moved. In the first verse, he wasn't really sure. I will not be greatly moved. But now he's convinced. I shall not be moved. Because God is my hope, help, and salvation. Hope, help, and uh, purpose. And then he reiterates, in, my, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. 
So he's, he's come to the conclusion himself, and because he has come to this conclusion based on his internal dialogue, he now has purpose. And what is his purpose? Look at the next verses. His purpose now is to go out and tell the rest of the world the truth that he knows, the truth that God is hope, help, and purpose. So he, he says to the people, trust in him at all times. You people, you guys outside, not me anymore. Now that's the rest of the world. Listen to me. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him because God is your refuge. <clears throat> he goes on. This is true because when you think about men, surely men are of, of low degree or a vapor. That is, if you don't have much, you're vaporous. You're, you're lighter than air. Men of high degree are a lie. If they're weighing the scales, they're altogether lighter than a vapor. The point is, whether you're rich or poor or low or high or well-connected or not well-connected, no one's hope can be in men. I, you, you know, we sometimes sing Psalm 118. We read it today, but we sometimes sing it. Uh, put in the, the psalm, it says, Put no confidence in princes, nor for hope on men depend. Saying exactly the same thing. Saying to the world, don't put your confidence in men. Whether they're of low degree or high degree, there is no hope there. In fact, do not trust even in the things that men do. Things like oppression. Don't trust in oppression. Don't trust in robbery. There is no hope in those things. There might be temporal gain. I guess if you're a bank robber and you're successful, maybe you can earn a couple extra dollars for a while, but, it, but there's no long-term hope in that. It, again, is fleeting. <coughs> so he comes then to his conclusion, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Now, what is that business, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this? Um... God has spoken once, twice over. I don't know if you if you recall the book of Amos. Um, for three sins and for four, God will punish the people. He repeats that like four or five times in the first first chapter of Amos. Um, in Proverbs, I think it's chapter thirty. Uh, uh, two two things God hates, or three things God hates. Five, with, Five things, whatever. The point is, it's a poetic thing. It's a rhetorical device. Also, it's common in Hebraic poetry to that repetition means it's true. Excuse me. Repetition emphasizes the idea. And Jesus says, on the on the basis of two or three. Witnesses, every matter is established. So there's lots of reasons why that, that's there in the poetry. Anyway, God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, power belongs to God. Now, on the surface, um, and in, in, in its context, that sort of sounds like a good thing. We, we want to trust that all the power resides with God, because otherwise His hope and help wouldn't mean anything. But by the same token... 
power being concentrated in any one person or entity is historically not really a good thing. That's the stuff of um, dictatorships. That's the, that's the ugly stuff. Like, uh, well, we're seeing it even today with Putin, right? All, all the powers concentrated in him, and what, what comes out of that is usually not good. And it's never been good in history. So because of that, we see verse 12, Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. That is, God is not only all-powerful, but he's merciful. Which eliminates the, the, uh, the dictatorship idea. <clears throat> and this last phrase is kind of interesting. You rendered each one according to his work. So the question is, what is the work that, that pleases God or that would help or ask him or be grounds for him being on your side. What is that work? I see, puzzlement. That's why we read John 6 today. And let me see if I can't quote the important verse to you here. Uh, in, 20, in verse 28, this is John 6, 28. <clears throat> Jesus is talking and he says, then they said to him, uh, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? That is, what stuff do we have to do that pleases God? How, how are we going to get in good with God? And this is Jesus' answer. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom you sent. Him whom he sent. Who is him whom he sent? It's Christ, right? So if you want to please God, if, if you want to be judged according to the works that are pleasing to God, trust in Christ. It's really a simple thing. That's not to say you shouldn't be faithful and obedient and uh, do the works of the law. They're all good things. All, right? all of the law hangs on this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all. So loving people. Doing good stuff for other people, that's all wonderful. But the ultimate test, the ultimate thing by which you are judged, the ultimate thing which God rewards is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what have we learned today? <clears throat> there are nuggets all through this psalm, and I, I would encourage you to go back and read it because there's good stuff that you can glean from almost every verse. First, we all need... Hope, help, and purpose. And I would suggest that you, you not just think about that for today, for this service, or for your own life, but this is a, a fundamental um, uh, opening in evangelism. Every person is going to need hope, help, or purpose. And if you can find that, you have an entree to, uh, to Christianity. So it's, it's a really important uh, first step. Door opener, if you will. Uh, secondly, it's, it's not wrong or bad to consider alternatives. D David did it in the first four verses, right? He considered uh, the, the consequences of trusting in God and the consequences of trusting in man for hope, help, and purpose. So it's not evil for you to do that. That's fine. The point is that when you're done, 
you have to come away with, with the ultimate truth. And the ultimate truth in this context is that God is our hope, help, and purpose. So you're going to get sick of hearing those words. In fact, you're probably sick of it already. But it's the truth. <clears throat> that is, God is trust, trustworthy. Man is not trustworthy. So once, once, you, once you've worked this out, uh, the, this uh, conflict within your own soul, within your own mind, you now have purpose. And your purpose isn't going to declare it to the whole world that God is your hope, help, and purpose, and nothing else is. You can't find your hope anywhere else, your help anywhere else, nor your purpose anywhere else. And finally, that God is the all-powerful, omnipotent being. But he's not a dictator. He's not a despot. He's merciful. And by faith in his Son... You will have hope, help, and purpose. So trust in Christ and not the things of this world. And you will find your, your, your fulfillment, your self-actualization, which was at the top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Let's pray. Father, you are a God. And it's an amazing thing, but that you have condescended despite all, all of the bad things that David pointed out to us about the, the nature of man. It's, it's an, a marvelous and amazing thing that you have condescended to love us, uh, call us to yourself. We pray that each day, as each day goes by, that you will give us not only the freedom to, to wrestle with, uh, with ideas, uh, the ideas about who you are and what you're doing and the issues of our lives, but that you will help us to come out of those that wrestling uh, reconfirmed in the ultimate and necessary truth that you are the omnipotent, merciful God in whom we do have, not just now, but forever, hope, help, and purpose. Bless us, Lord God. Let us take this uh, message away with us and live it out. Uh, for the sake of Christ and for the good of your church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.